If you got a Bible, go ahead and uh, I'm going to ask you to open up two places. Uh, the first is uh, Hebrews chapter 9, and then kind of put your finger in there, and we'll get there later. And then go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. Just one verse in Matthew. Verse 17. So Hebrews chapter 9 and then Matthew 5, verse 17. If you got it, say amen. If you're just waiting for it to come up on the screen, say I'm lazy. Okay. Got him. Here he is. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have not come to abolish the law or the prophet, but to fulfill them. Jesus is speaking to a diverse group of people this day as, as he proclaims the Sermon on the Mount. You would have had a, a multitude of people from all different walks of life, but there would have been this natural schism that would have happened in this group. There would have been Jews understanding that, that the first group of Christians were actually Jews who for thousands of years had centered their life, had centered their comings, their goings, their habits around the law, a law that when God had freed the Hebrews from Egypt, a law that he gave and spoke through Moses that at Sinai that he gave to the people, understanding that this was a group of people, two million or so, that for hundreds of years had lived underneath the bondage of Egyptian masters and had become so accustomed to life in slavery that they didn't understand what freedom looked like. So when they headed off into the wilderness, when they headed out of Egypt with all of the riches of the Egyptians, they still didn't know how to live in freedom. So God the Father gives them a law. Over 600 of them, actually. And these were the rules and the regulations to allow his people to understand, to know how to get along. Like a young child, you would, you would have a baby gate around your child so your child just can't go all over the place. So God installs these kind of baby gates around his people as an act of love. And then God sends men to be his mouthpiece to his people, to speak truth to his people, to speak judgment to his people, to speak vision to his people. And these are the prophets. And this is what they know as first century Jews. But then Jesus comes in, and in three and a half years, Jesus takes this system and turns it on, upside on its head. And the Jews that had been underneath this law are, are asking this question. They're asking Jesus, wait a minute, what about the law that Moses, our forefather, gave to us? Are you saying that you're greater than Moses? Are you saying you're greater than Elijah? Are you saying you're greater than the prophets of Israel? And Jesus so matter-of-factly says that he has not come to abolish the law, to abolish the prophets, but he has come to fulfill them. He has come to bring to conclusion. He has come to bring to completeness what God intended for man since the garden. Freedom. Jesus says, I have come to remove the barriers, to remove the baby gate, to show you what it's like to truly live 
in freedom. The unknown writer of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews 9. For this reason, in verse 15, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from their sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is enforced only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is still living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people. He took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll, and he sprinkled the scroll. That is the law. He sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded to you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In effect, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And this one you want to underline and circle and highlight. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus speaks on the Sermon on the Mount that he is here to bring to completion not the old covenant, but the new covenant. But in the same way the old covenant was sealed with the shedding of blood, this new covenant, this new kingdom that he is ushering in must also be sealed with blood, but not the blood of calves, not the blood of doves, not the blood of bulls, not the blood that would happen ceremonially twice a year to wash over all the people, but once and for all, a final sacrifice, a blameless lamb, a lion would go before the Lord and say, I bring to completion what they've been trying to do on their own for thousands of years. If you're prone to write down titles, I don't typically do this, but I do this for this message. And this comes out of the script. Done with dead end efforts. Done with dead end efforts. And I want to focus tonight in our next 26 minutes together on the nature of the new covenant and the sacrifice that we receive from Jesus. The gift that we receive from Jesus. Now I'll tell you up front, there are going to be things that I say over the next few minutes that go completely against our Western sensibility. There are going to be things that I say, not my words, but the words of the scriptures that are going to feel awkward to you, that are going to feel barbaric to you. But I want you to... Enter these next few minutes with an open mind, with an open heart, and give God just a moment. If this is the first time you've done this, or the first time in a long time, give God a moment to say something unique to you, to give a vision to you, to give a word to you. Because what I believe is so true, as Bo talked about just a few short minutes ago, we are living in a broken world. We are living in broken times. And my friends, I got to tell you something. Things aren't going to get better. Things are not going to get better. This is the world. This is the soil. This is the earth crying 
out to be returned back to the garden, to be returned back to what God foresees for us in Revelation, to be called back into eternity where the new covenant comes, where the new kingdom comes. This will not change, but what God is seeking, what God is desiring is sojourners. He's looking for men and women to pitch their tents on this temporary world with their eyes fixed on the eternal. But we can't get there if we don't understand what was paid for to give us that opportunity. So So allow yourself a few moments to hear from God. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that your words would ring true. Father God, That in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of trials, in the midst of death and fires, Jesus, in the midst of the earth shaking and flood waters rising, Jesus Christ, may you set something in us right now. That we wouldn't leave this place the same. But Jesus, tonight, may the power of your Holy Spirit speak loudly to that young man. Speak loudly to that young woman who is sitting in this place, doubting, concerned, up in evil, Lord Jesus, in their spirit and in their countenance. Jesus, may you enter this place. May you reside in this place, this holy tabernacle tonight, Jesus. And speak truth into their life. Use your servant. I humbly give myself up to you, Jesus, to do what you want. Be with us in this time. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Oh, Jesus. Come on, somebody. Listen, there are moments. Woo, that's the preach before the preach, somebody. There are moments in your life, man, where oh, the confidence just goes out the window. I don't know about you, but there are just moments in life where doesn't matter how much swag you got, doesn't matter how, how much money's in your pocket, doesn't matter what your status is, but there are moments in all of our lives where we walk into situations and we lack confidence. Now, you can see by the tightness of my jeans, there are a few moments in my life where I lack confidence, all right? <laughs> Put a big boy like this in jeans like that. Takes a lot of work. So I'm okay with my confidence. But there's an instant, and it happens now more frequently than before, where I lose complete confidence. And it is when I make my way to your local airport. You see, I've just got an opportunity this last year, particularly to travel a lot more. And and I've kind of become a master of the airport. I got like my little like, you know, uh, nice rolly back thing, whatever it's called, carry on. And I got everything down to a science. But without fail, every time I get to the boarding area or, I mean, excuse me, the, the, the gate check area where TSA is, all of a sudden I lose all confidence. Does anybody in this room work for TSA? Okay, good. (laughs) You see, because, again, I'm a frequent traveler, so I got, like, all the three-ons things in there. I got the, everything just worked out just right. But I'll walk up to to the the gate thing, and there's usually a a, a middle-aged person, a really old person, and someone who looked like they dropped out of high school person. And these three people are shouting commands at everybody. And it's like, do you have any liquids in your bag? Are those liquids in a bag? And then they're three ounces. Do you have lithium batteries? I didn't know lithium batteries were such a big deal till I got to these airports, right? And then, and then I'm always fumbling. No matter what I do, I just I have my ID in my hand and my, my boarding pass on my phone, but I still start fumbling. I'm like, oh gosh, oh gosh. And then I, you know, I give it to them. And I try to make small talk as if like they're not gonna let me in or something like that. Like I compliment them, oh man, that is a beautiful hairnet you have on this morning. And and, and it's just like this whole thing, right? And then the guys, then I put my take my shoes off, and it's like, I just start. And then he asked me another question. The old man's like, Do you have any liquids in your bag? And I'm like, I don't have it. Oh, maybe I do have some liquids I don't know I don't know maybe there's a a, a 42 ounce slurpee in there that I didn't finish like what's happening 
Just recently, I, I, I get in, then, then you get in that machine. I don't know what that machine does, but it's like, get, get in there, put your hands up, higher, higher, <laughs> get going any higher. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you have a belt on? And, <laughs> she asked me, sir, do you have a belt on? And I go, Oh, uh, 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 yes, I have a belt, but it's fine. I go through the airport all the time with this belt. It's, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Guys, I walk through. I didn't even have a belt on. I had sweatpants on. But I was just under so much pressure. I just wanted it to end. No matter how many flights I get on, man, and I'm gonna be like that, just like that tomorrow when I get to Ontario Airport, man. I'm gonna start freaking out, and my confidence is gonna go out the window. For many of us, there are those moments when our confidence wavers. Christian or follower of Christ, or non follower of Christ. What often brings this wavering feeling inside of us when it comes to our walk, our journey, our eternal destination, if you believe in such thing, it's am I really, truly forgiven in the sight of God? I think when you get down to it, I was talking uh, to, to, to Christian at dinner, and, and it's like, Whenever you get down to the end of it, everyone's asking that question. Am I good, God? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? And we live in this tension and we find moments where we can speak this confidence, but living it looks very different. I like the way that the brother of Jesus writes this in James chapter 2. James says this. Go and throw it up for me. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. See, James isn't talking about that old covenant law. James isn't talking about that Moses law. James is talking about the law that Jesus came to fulfill. And James, his brother, says, speak and we do that fine, church people. We speak like those who walk in freedom. But this next word, act like those, is a little bit more difficult. Because we lack confidence that truly freedom has been ransomed for us. So instead of having deep confidence in that, we attempt to gain access and acceptance by dead end efforts. Instead of believing and trusting that Jesus will do it again, that Jesus' promises, like it says in Colossians, are yes and are resounded with amen, we try our best to fill that space, that gap with dead end efforts. And my friends, I am praying that tonight you will be done with dead end efforts. Yeah. I believe we lack this confidence because we don't want to look to scripture. We don't want to look to the sacrifice of Jesus and call it for what it is. We'll sit in these nice church services, in these retreat settings, but we don't want to look and articulate and embrace what Jesus actually did. You see, my friends, we will ordain, we, ornate, we put ornate crosses all over our homes. We'll hang them on top of our churches. We'll wear them around our necks, and we'll be like, oh, there's the cross of Christ. We'll sing about it, but we don't want our head space and our heart space to really go to that place of what happened at that day on Calvary, what really took place on the Mount of Skulls that day. 
My friends, understand this. That cute little cross that you got at Tiffany's, young woman, that you wear around your neck, that would have been a symbol of torture an execution, a symbol of intimidation, a symbol of do not come any closer because the Roman guard, a legion, a centurion at any moment could imprison you or take your life if you spoke against Caesar. The Romans had mastered torturing and killing people slowly, painfully, with the utmost of humiliation to send the message of Victus Rome. And it was no less for Jesus Christ. After Jesus stood trial three separate times, he was given over to a group of centurions, professional soldiers, who would spend the better part of an evening torturing Jesus within an inch of his life. And because they were professionals at it, they knew how to bring someone to the edge of death, give them just enough rest to torture them longer. And then this blameless servant, this blameless son of a stone worker was given a large piece of wood to carry through the streets of Jerusalem outside of the city walls. And then he had to ascend up a mountain of garbage, a mountain where there was flames and fumes of dead bodies and trash being burnt, falling over the face of this hill. And then this blameless son of a stone worker was nailed to that piece of wood. But it didn't kill him. He hung there for several hours. suffocating on his own fluids, lifting his body up with the pain of the nails in his hands, in his wrist, and in his ankles, lifting his body up just enough to get a breath and then fall down underneath the weight of his bruised and battered body. And after about six hours, he made the decision to give up his spirit. He makes the decision to give up his spirit. And there on that cross, Jesus' bloody body hangs. And all eternity is turned upside down and inside out. In that moment, Jesus brings to fruition, to fulfillment, the old law. And sets in motion a new law that brings freedom, that brings life, that brings access, that brings invitation to all people. The folks two and a half years before that were sitting on that mountainside listening to Jesus give that sermon would have remembered that moment where he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to abolish the prophets, but I came to fulfill it because he was going to do something new. 
he was going to bring in a new covenant. We would have been horrified with the moment God was most glorified. Every single person in this space, would, myself included, would have been horrified with the moment that God was most glorified on this earth. And he does so, so that we would have confidence. That when we approach Jesus, that we, excuse me, that when we approach his father, the Lord of Lord, that we would have confidence that when the Father God sees us, he would not see our sins, he would not see our shortcomings, he would not see his, our brokenness, but he would see his son, Jesus. Our advocate, the one who went ahead of us and took on himself what each and every one of us deserved. Eternal separation from a holy and righteous God. Three areas that Christ's sacrifice gives us confidence. Christ's sacrifice gives us confidence in our fellowship. I love the way that Eugene Peterson writes this. Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus steps in between. Jesus does for me what I could not do for myself. And because Jesus does for me what I can't do for myself, what you can't do for my, yourself, Jesus begins and, and ends the discussion. God, am I good enough to commune with you? Am I good enough to fellowship with you? Jesus says, because of me, you are. Jesus allows us freedom to live for God. Friends, Jesus' death is not meant to distance you from God, but it's meant to draw you closer to him. But often we forget that and we fill our lives with material things, with shallow relationships, with vocational success, and we still feel un fulfilled. Is there anybody in this space? Can we be honest? Is there anybody in this space that's woken up one time this month and, fe and felt unfulfilled? Jesus died so you would have confidence to never feel that way again. I love the way that Jim Carrey says this, a great theologian. <laughs> Jim Carrey said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they have ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. My confidence isn't in the things of this world, but it's in the one that's greater than this world. I remember I was in this bike race I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. I trained for this race for like five months, and it was a hundred mile race. They get a like not a real competitive race. There's a bunch of people riding their bikes, but it's still you know hundred miles. I'm gonna ride a hundred miles, and even though I practiced this for like weeks and months and I'd taken rides that were 120 miles and all this kind of stuff, I was ready for it. But uh, what I wasn't ready for was where I was riding in Arizona was at 6,000 feet elevation. So I'm all amped up at the beginning of this race and I'm on my bike and I'm in my super tight bike suit, you know, as a sight for sore eyes and, and uh, the gun goes off and, and I'm gone. Going, 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 I'm riding so hard. And about a mile in, 
I am gassed. I am gassed. I felt like I had already ridden 50, 60 miles, and I'm a mile in. And all I can do is just barely just kind of just slowly kind of pull through. Slowly, just mile after mile, just kind of getting along. And I get to about mile 65 or so. And I am, friends, I'm telling you, I'm ready to give up. I'm like, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to, you know, just stop here. I'm going to call somebody. Somebody going to pick me up. It's over. (laughs) (laughs) And then comes my Savior. Not Jesus Christ. But in this moment, I would have given her that position. This woman, who must have been 600 years old, (laughs) rides up next to me. I kid you not. She's like, Sonny, are you all right? (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm not all right. And, And she says this. She goes, and if you understand racing, which I don't, but this whole thing called drafting where you don't have to, like, pull as hard. You don't have to pedal as hard if you stay near the wheel of the person in front of you. And their momentum kind of pulls you forward. So she says, just jump on my wheel. Jump on my wheel. And so here is this, I don't think I was even 30 yet. So here is this, like, 20-something-year-old man drafting off this 600-year-old woman. <laughs> And for the next 15 miles, she pulled me where I couldn't pull myself. She pulled me where I couldn't pull myself. And other people were going by us, but we had this conversation, and we're talking, and we're riding. And then I got to a point where I said, okay, I'm good. Friends, that's Jesus. That's Jesus pushing and pulling us to a place that we can't get on our own. Pushing and pulling us in our weakness. Pushing and pulling us in our doubts. And saying, I want to get you there. Christ's sacrifice gives us confidence in our future. He gives us confidence in our future. So many of you are here and are part of this fusion community because like you're talking about this next year, you're searching for your people and you're searching for your purpose. You're searching for your people and you're searching for your purpose. You see, Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus dies. Jesus fulfills the law, fulfills the old covenant so that you could have confidence in the future. Confidence that Jesus wants to bring to fruition something for you, something through you. That when Jesus died on that cross, instantly We inherited grace. Instantly we inherited this gift that no one else could give to you. That he makes readily available at any moment when all you do is cry out to him. Friends, I want to challenge you to start looking forward to that future. And stop looking in the rearview mirror of your life. The rearview mirror of your doubts. The rearview mirrors of your struggles. The rearview mirror of your sins. The rearview mirror of your brokenness. And say, Jesus, I'm putting my future in your hand. Christ's sacrifice gives us confidence of forgiveness. Look what it says in verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Forgiveness is supposed to free us to enjoy this life and the next with Christ Jesus. 
Can I tell you something? There is no unforgivable sin. People have talked about this before in the church. If someone takes their own life, that is the unforgivable sin because they can't ask for forgiveness for what they did. Friends, understand this. There are two boats. Those who accept Christ and those who deny Christ. That's it. The moment one accepts Christ, the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of the Father washes over all of your life, all of your eternity, all your future brokenness, all your past brokenness. What happens in between is the process of sanctification where we become more like Jesus, but you can't lose the gift that Jesus has given to you. You can't outsin Jesus. You can't outlie Jesus. You can't be greedy enough for Jesus to say that moment at Calvary doesn't belong to you anymore because it's a gift that he gives to you and he gives it to you in abundance. And the only other boat is the one of those who deny him. And you don't have to verbally deny him. But without verbally accepting him, you have verbally denied him. But can I tell you something, friends? When you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, when you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, when you ask Jesus to take control, when you ask Jesus to be in the forgiveness business, to be in the future business, when you ask Jesus to be in all your worth business, the same way that Moses sprinkled the blood over the scrolls and over the tabernacle and everything in it. Jesus Christ sprinkles his blood all over your life, all over your sins, all over your blemishes, and you are signed, sealed, delivered, a son, a daughter of God. And let me tell you something. When you are signed, sealed, delivered, a son, daughter of God, you walk in to eternity with a swag like no other. Has anybody ever been pre-checked for TSA? You ever been pre-checked for TSA? You were just walking in like, uh, whatever. I got 45 laptops in my bag. I got a big gulp in my pocket. It does, I ain't taking off my shoes. I didn't even wear socks today. And you're looking at everybody else who's standing in that long line. You're like, nope, I got instant access. My friends, Jesus is offering instant access to some of us. He is offering instant access to some of us. But he's waiting for something. He's waiting for you to stop looking for a better sacrifice. He's waiting for you to stop looking for a better sacrifice and just, just live in the freedom that he's offered you. Not under the old covenant with all the laws, with all the rules, with all the regulations. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, the greatest of the commandments... It's to love the Lord your God and to love one another. You do those and you will hold on to all the other things. You do those two things and everything else will fall in place. But you've got to stop trying to do it yourself. Even in the garden with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 7. After they sin, what do they do? They take leaves from a fig tree and they try to cover up their sin. They try to cover up their brokenness. And Jesus could have been like, yep, God could have been like, see, you're a sinner. You're broken. Stay with that little uh, uh, fig leaf bikini. I'm going to let you stay like that. That's embarrassing. Imagine me, right? You'll never get this thought out of your head. For eternity, walking around in a, Fig leaf bikini. It's terrible. You'll never stop seeing that. What does he do? What does he do instead? Genesis 3.21. It says this. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Even in their sin, God provides. But what does God provide? It says he, a garment of skins. God had to kill something. Sacrifice had to happen. Sacrifice had to happen to put Adam and Eve in a position of correctedness. 
This is the story. This is the story. My friend's a pastor up in Portland, and he said this, and it just blew my mind. I love it. Jeremy, he's a pastor and an author. He wrote this. We must be willing to release how we have experienced God in the past to find Jesus in our future. You got to let go of, of, of that God that you think is just waiting to smite you and cast you away. I don't know that God. I don't worship that God. I don't submit my life and my family and my kids to that God. I'm thinking about the God that gave everything for my sake. I'm thinking about the God that when I was in shambles as a 19-year-old kid, picked me up in the rubble of my life and molded me and shaped me into a vessel to be used for his glory. And I'm not special, my friends. That's your story if you choose so. The Japanese have this practice where they will take a, a broken vase or pot or whatever it is and they'll take it and, and an artist will put it into their hands and, and they'll fashion it back together but not with glue, not with more ceramic, not with duct tape but they'll fashion it back together with, with gold. Looks like, looks like this. And this formerly broken vessel changes. In the hands of a craftsman, it changes. Three things happen to that vessel. It now has more value. It has more value than it had before because of the metal that hold the precious metal that now holds it together. It now has a new owner. Because the person that probably owned it probably threw it away or left it. And the owner is the one who has now crafted it back together. And my favorite, it is, now has a new purpose. Where before that might have been a cereal bowl or it might have been something that people washed their hands in and took for granted. But now it is a piece of art. And its new purpose is to inspire. Its new purpose is to radiate beauty. Its new purpose is to give hope. Its new purpose is to speak a message that's unspeakable with words but perfectly seen with the eye. And in the broken cracks of Carl, you know what there is in the broken cracks of Carl? The blood of Jesus that has fashioned me together, that is holding me together, that has given me my new value, that has told me who I belong to, and that has now purposed me for the rest of eternity. That's what Jesus came to do, to bring that to fulfillment in every single person sitting in this space. And my friends, I want to tell you, you are no longer your own. When you take that step from death to life, you are no longer your own. And you're no longer your own for this reason. I'm no longer my own for this reason. Love that costs nothing changes nothing. But love that costs everything changes everything and Jesus wants to change you right here right now Jesus brought to completion what he wants to do in your life right here right now I believe there are a few people in this room and I'm not going to tell anybody to close their eyes and bow their heads but I believe that there are men and women in this room who feel broken, 
who feel like they have no purpose, who feel like they have no value, who feel like they are just doing it on their own, who feel like they need something, they need someone to bring to fulfillment, to bring to completion these tattered and broken pieces who feel like the sin in their life is overwhelming and all they can do is cry out because you find yourself right now at the end of yourself. And here's who's ready to meet you, Jesus. Jesus is ready to meet you right here, right now, at the end of yourself. And he wants to give you an opportunity tonight to accept him. Without being concerned about anyone else around you, And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have that confidence in your future and your forgiveness in Jesus Christ, I want to ask you right now just to be praying in your hearts for boldness in the next few moments, for conviction in the next few moments. That there is someone, there is two, there is three, there may be dozens that want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. If you're sitting in this space and you are saying, Jesus, I believe what you did on that cross was for me. Jesus, I don't understand everything in that book, but I understand that your love overflows for me so much so that you would die on a cross to save and ransom my eternity. Jesus, I want you to put the broken pieces of my life together, not like they were before, but in a new way. Jesus, I want to give myself to you. If that's you right now, I want you to say this prayer. You could say it in the quiet of your heart, in the head space. It's not a magical prayer, but it's just a proclamation, a confessing of the mouth. Say this prayer. Jesus, I know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe what you did on the cross was done to save me. I give you the broken pieces of my life and ask that you would make me a new vessel. Signed, sealed, delivered by your blood. If you just said that prayer, I want you to do the boldest thing you're going to do all weekend. And not for the other 176 people in this room, but for the 176 millions of angels in heaven right now who are flying around the throne room of God, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as much as glory, as much as goodness is filling that throne room, nothing will fill the heart of God more than watching a sinner step from death to life because of their confidence in the Son, Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I want to ask you right now to do something bold. I want to ask you to just stand to your feet. Wherever you are in this room, not worried about anybody else, and say, for the very first time, I want to say yes to Jesus. I said that prayer, and I want to show that to this world. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Tell you if you're that young man, this is your moment. 
This is the defining moment in your life. Your future spouse is waiting on this moment. Your children and your children's children are waiting on this moment. But right now, you're letting the weakness of the flesh control you. And I want to implore you to stand up. Because I'm going to tell you, if you can't stand up in a room full of believers, when you go back to your job, when you go back to that phone, when you go back in front of that computer, you ain't going to stand up for Jesus then either. Stay standing, stay standing, man of God. Stay standing, stay standing, men of God. It's the bravest thing, that's the strongest thing, that's the manliest thing you're ever going to do. That is the manliest thing you are ever going to do. And God honors you for that. God honors you for that. God honors you for that. Ladies, God honors you for that. I've gone way over my time, but I don't care. Because God was waiting for this. God was waiting to reap his harvest. He was waiting to reap his harvest. He was waiting for this. And we account yes and amen. If you're a brother or sister of the faith, would you stand up and put an arm on these people? Put a gentle hand on these people. If you're a brother or sister of the faith, surround them right now. Surround them right now because this is what they need. You need this moment, this moment to understand you will never walk in this world alone. You will never walk in this world alone because you have Christ binding you together and you have brothers and sisters walking alongside of you. So right here, right now. Fusion, this is your community. And I'm only a guest in your community. So I'm going to ask that your pastor, your leader, pray a blessing over you and commission you into this next phase.